You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 1st of May. Finally, it would be nice if we had nice weather to go along with that day. A little bit of sun wouldn't kill us, but uh, we'll make do. We have got some interesting games to talk about, not the least of which being What Remains of Edith Finch. I know we covered it through the interview on our last episode, This, but we actually got to play the entirety of the game and have many words to say about it. But before we get into that, Let's dive into a couple of the Telltale games. Why is this red? Why is this red? Ah. Okay, well, it's recording. <laughs> I'll trim that off. I updated, I updated Audition that I record with, and now for whatever fucking reason, the track as I'm recording is showing up as bright, bright red. Normally, that means something is wrong, but... Yeah. It, it appears to be recording. Before you record an entire episode, yeah. Why don't you take take a couple minutes and check it out, man? We're, it's we're good. the squiggly lines are there. Hold on a second. <laughs> Just making sure we there is sound. Audio. There is sound from everybody involved, so we're we're good. Although I, I do think the volume was a little high on this end. So I swear to God, it, I haven't touched the fucking mixing board. All I did was connect my my turntable to it, but. That should not have fucked with any sounds at all. You see, there's the problem. It shouldn't, <sighs> it shouldn't have. have. But it, honestly, it shouldn't have. I didn't touch fuck all. So, okay, let's keep going. <laughs> all right, so we're going to talk about a couple of the Telltale games because we got both the fourth episode for season three of The Walking Dead as well as the first episode of Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, Vince, you played Guardians, right? Yes. Okay. So, what, Joe, I don't think you played it, right? No, I haven't yet. It's on my list, but just haven't gotten to it yet. Mm-hmm. Let's see what Vince has to say, because if you're listening <laughs> to me, you may want to wait before adding it to your list, to be honest. But, Vince, what did you think of it? At least judging from the first episode, I would say it's the weakest of the Telltale games that I have played. I haven't played all of them. I didn't play Minecraft. I haven't played anything Walking Dead. You didn't play Michonne. Yeah. Yeah. And it was worse than Michonne. Wow. Cause like it, it was just very flat. I and I think a lot of it I mean I well, I also didn't play Batman, so maybe you can be like my sounding board for this. Like a lot of it just felt like, hey, these characters are already established, so we don't really need to do any work fleshing them out. And let's just tell a story with them. So like it nothing really like like it was fun. Like I liked the jokes. And like it was interesting to play, but it didn't grab me in the way that literally every other Telltale game I have played has done. Batman was significantly better, in my opinion, than than this. Like, significantly better than this. Uh, I know that, Joe, you really didn't have much use for, for Batman overall. I Yeah, I didn't care for it. But I I did. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was better than some of their other IPs, but I still do think that it was actually quite good especially if again you played more than just one episode if you played through the whole thing 
I found there were elements in it that were quite good, but we're not here to talk about that. But with Guardians, I found that certain story elements were too outlandish. And I understand that much like Batman, they want to create their own version of an IP that's not mm-hmm. within canon, that they can play with and do whatever they want. But when in the first first half of episode one, you have presumably killed off Thanos. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm not ruining honest, anything here. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> it's just like, what? And you kill him with a gun, but not just any gun, a super gun yeah, that a Rocket really gun. built. Yeah. And it was like, that, oh, doesn't, that doesn't sound like anything that, you know, in comic it, books, you no, think you kill Thanos and he doesn't actually die. Come on. No, that's it. As someone who just spent years with Vince doing comic book informer reading <laughs> hundreds and hundreds, sometimes hundreds per week, let's be honest, depending on what we were talking about, like tons of fucking comic books. I'm not an expert. That's not what I'm saying. But even this for me as I'm playing through, I'm going, oh, come on, for fuck's sake, this is ridiculous. And like when you're talking about flat, I agree. The writing was lifeless. I found that the characters didn't really feel as authentic as they should have. Mm -hmm. And while I didn't have a problem with the art style for most of them, Rockets, he may as well have been made out of plastic. And Peters, the hell is that? That he just looks weird. Plus, it's he has telltale male white character number four is what it is. Yeah, and the eyes are a little bit sunken in too far. So in different shots, you see like this gap between the eye socket and the eyeball. And it's like that's just really bizarre. Um, I wasn't. The, most of the voice acting was good. I wasn't crazy about it all, but most was was still good. I I love the woman who did the voice acting for Gamora. She was great. Mm-hmm. And uh but sadly they're being given terrible lines. And for me it was a lot more of telltale falling on telltale tropes that they invented. Well, they didn't invent, but you know what I mean that they they used to great effect in most of their games. But it wasn't used effectively. It's just a okay. Now you got to decide whose side are you on, and it's very yeah, blatant now, in now your the face. Raccoon's angry Boom. at me. Yeah. So you're either siding with this person or this person. There's no nuance. There's no real story elements. It's just you got to pick a side because this is a game that makes you choose, that remembers your choices, and that it has an impact. So here's your choice, and it's not subtle in any way, shape, or form. It's just boom, pick a lane, go that way. And it was like, well, fuck. And and I found there were far too many things like that throughout that the 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 conversations are stagnant or really again they make a big deal out of hey we killed them there you go now we can split up the band and go our own route and yet you you feel nothing like the entirety of the bar act was a joke was a waste of space and then when you're seeing him in the ship talking to people it's boring as fun. the only interesting thing was when he had a little sidebar with Groot who's throwing up in the toilet because he drank too much the night before but that was it at least for I mean, me I, I liked some of the stuff with Drax where now that Thanos is dead like he's questioning his purpose and you know if he even needs to be around at all like it was let's just say it was the least uninteresting part <laughs> 
Like, I, I think that could have had potential if it maybe had been a little more solidly explored, but it quickly turned into the Gamera versus Rocket show. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're choosing either to send Thanos' body off to um, the whatchamacallits, the, help me. The Nova Corps. The Nova Corps. Or the Collector. Or the Collector. So, so which one did you choose? I accidentally chose the and no I'm serious I accidentally chose the the Nova Core and it's just cuz I pressed the wrong button on the the controller but I had planned initially to side with Gamora and mm-hmm. then when the choice came up I had been thinking you know what fuck that like I know what these games are collector might actually be interesting to see the collector's area and whatnot. So I was going to choose that, and then I accidentally pressed Nova Core. I went, oh, I guess I was going to do that anyway. And that yeah, was and the, the little interaction with the fanboy. That was fun. But, again, it wasn't – like it was just a piece. Like It didn't quite you know, raise the bar for the episode. Yeah. Again, I, I don't know how different your playthrough would have been from mine because – because the, the the choices that you make certainly are jarring, and mm-hmm. you got to pick somebody. Well, it's it's one of those things. Like at least from my from my perspective, like you know, I'm playing Star Lord. I'm going to be you know the cocky asshole, yeah. and, you know, yeah. throwing out one liners and you know not taking anything seriously. So like when Rocket starts yelling at me and getting pissed off, I was like, huh, okay, <laughs> that's that's an interesting way to go. And you know, we'll see if there's. I'll pay off for it over the following episodes because, well, I already bought them all. I might as well play them. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, it, I don't know. Like, there's, there's potential, but for a first chapter, this was largely uninspired. Like, I will say, though, I did like the flashbacks with Peter and his mother. Like, I, I enjoyed a lot of that. I know it's some of that. Uh, I, I did. It, it gave you some perspective in the character. Mm-hmm. I did like the scene where they were. Well, I mean, it's it's what Telltale does well, best. Well, done talking. People. Yes, I. But I like the 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 scene where on, they're on top of the car, and mm-hmm. they're looking up at the sky, and you know she's ill. He knows she's ill, but she's trying to teach him to be a better man. And what's funny is that that essence, at least they got that right for who Peter is kind of thing as a character so that part yeah I, I did enjoy that more but then when you get to the other stuff and you're getting interactions with other characters that are so out of left field like you you mentioned the stuff with the rocket it's like why are you so goddamn mad like really you your gun just killed freaking thanos plus i gave you credit <laughs> to those oh. people at the bar yeah, so that I, you I got didn't. credit. I did that. And I, he I was, cracked the joke of like, well, it was a good shot. And then he just got pissed and stormed off. I was like, ah. <laughs> oh, he's getting ready to get pissed no matter what you say. Yeah. That, and so see, that, that's what I don't like. Mm-hmm. So I I wasn't crazy about the Telltale's exploration bits, which are in every single game. you got to go around and there's a mechanic, figure it out, and then do your stuff i wasn't crazy about it for this whereas the stuff with the detective mode in batman was fun you're putting Mm -hmm. together things and then you're seeing the scene it's like oh i like the same thing with uh wolf among us had a lot of the same elements that were really well executed whereas this was paled in comparison you got some of it but i don't know just free roam for like one area yeah pretty (laughs) much look around solve this very simple puzzle that i knew how to solve the puzzle five minutes before i was well yeah there's a plane crash there so but no and then on top of that again the the voice acting overall fine 
but there were a few that stand out as not too good. Art style overall fine, but I really wasn't crazy about a couple of them at all. But then it's just the writing. The writing in this is completely uninspired to the point of being boring at points. And and more so than that, it is it's bad, not just boring, but bad in some regards because of how forced they make those choices feel. Mm-hmm. And so put all that together and it's like, fuck, I, I point blank didn't enjoy it. It's not just that I was apathetic about it. I just didn't enjoy it. So. I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. I'd, Are you looking forward to episode two? Insofar as I hope that now that all like the setup is out of the way, we can get on with something interesting. Sure. Okay. Because based on what we saw in this and based on what they'd said before this came out, their thing was every episode, somebody's they're going up against a villain kind of thing. So a new villain. So presumably... That means that a lot of villains are also going to get knocked off pretty easily if old Thanos is any indication. Well, I mean, yeah, by episode two, we're going to be killing Galactus. And then by episode three, like, you know. Party. Everybody throws a something. party for them. Like, it's just <laughs> The unemployment <laughs> just lines are suddenly a lot this. longer and filled with costume freaks. <laughs> All right. Parting thoughts on it then. I hope it gets better. Okay. All right, but it, but judging by Telltale's record, like you could pretty much tell how a series is going to be based on the first episode. Yeah, yeah, there is a lot of that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I got nothing to say. I again, I don't want to slam it too much. I I haven't read any reviews, so I honestly don't know if other people are enjoying it. Uh, that said, when Michonne came out, there were a lot of there was a lot of praise, and Joe and I were like. Err fuck are you guys playing because it's not the same guy game we're playing so who knows the walking dead season three however i can justifiably say it's freaking good it's just a very good game and i enjoy it a lot i played through episode four uh, as opposed to guardians this is a game where the characters do come to life like the character that you play by this point You've got him figured out in your head if you're playing him as harsh or much more compassionate and things like that. And they're they're both good routes to play. But I also like all of the supporting cast. And again, in this game, Clem is a supporting cast member. So she's not always there. So when you bump into her in this one at one point, and I'm curious how you would bump into her or if you would based on a few choices which again in this case here is a little bit more subtle and there's a lot more of them so it's hard to see the split and say okay well you definitely meet her here i don't know but i met her in a uh, uh, like a doctor's office kind of thing and the doctor they have at this compound well he's an addict and he is having a hard time with life let's just leave it at that and Clem is there, and you start having a conversation with her. Now, I don't know. Have you guys heard about this at all? I haven't no. read up anything again no. on this game either, so I don't know if people were making a big stink about it. I'm certainly not making a big stink. I just found it very weird and not off-putting, but surprising because it was not it was not the conversation I expected to be having with Clem at any point as my heavier because she starts talking about starting her menstrual cycle 
and she has no women in her life to guide her with this. It's traumatic for her. She knows what it is, but she doesn't know everything about it. She certainly doesn't know, you know, how to take care of herself and things like that. And so she's trying to talk to him about it. And then you have the options of being like essentially compassionate or kind of being like, this is not a conversation you should have with me and kind of walking away. That's where you just completely choose the dot, dot, dot responses. <laughs> I pause the fucking game because I'm going, am I really having this conversation with Clem? <laughs> like, and I'm thinking, you know what? I've raised two girls as well. And it's like, I'm not a 50s TV star actor, you know, in those days where it's like, heaven forbid you talk about this with a girl. So it was like, okay, let's see where this goes. And it was well handled because it is something that, I mean, again, she is not his daughter. He hasn't traveled with her extensively. He's had some run-ins, of course, and he's had some, like, he's he stayed with her for a little while, so he knows her and cares for her already. But to be having this intimate a conversation that's kind of embarrassing on both ends is pretty tricky to be in, in terms of how you, you're going to handle it. And he does a good job. You, well, you do a good job depending on the choices that you, you take. And then you do bring her back to the stronghold kind of area where you've got your crew and say like, go talk to her. Okay. She'll set you up with everything you need and she'll tell you and make sure you understand that you're fine. It would, I had to, like, I, I finished it all. I'm thinking, you know, kudos to you guys. They, like, that took balls. They, well, not balls. It took something else. But it was like, you did good. You 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 gave us choices of how to proceed with this based on the comfort level of whoever is playing the game. But even the one where you are being adult, an adult about it was well handled. That there is obvious, visible, not tension, but kind of like, ooh, uh, mm, okay. And watching your words, but never in a you know, juvenile way for either of them. And I really dug that. It was well done. And then you get a whole bunch of other stuff going on with the brother once again. And because of he's, he was for my playthrough, at least kind of removed from power as their head of security. And then essentially being framed by one of the upper ups, which again falls on some cliches, but it was well handled. So I'm all right with it. So, there's a lot of crap that kind of is similar to some things we've seen, be it in the comics or even in the other things, but it's just different enough that I'm not feeling like the Michonne where it's like, ah, come on, give me something different here. So, and I, and I like that area. I like the plot going on with that settlement and what they're doing and how they're trying to survive and whatnot. And there's a couple of key characters in there that are, well written and interesting, including the his brother as head of security, while his uh, right hand man is is this tough as nails, head shaven woman with this massive scar across her scalp, who has some very interesting moments with Clem. At least once again in my my playthrough, she did, and it was really really freaking cool. So it's a character that I'm hoping we're going to see more of as well going forward. So. I wouldn't put this as the best of the four episodes thus far, but it was very good and certainly built that momentum moving forward right to the friggin' end where you're like, oh, for fuck's sakes, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to seeing how they wrap it up. Um, it's It's fairly, unless they really go outside the norm, 
can kind of see what's going to happen, but I'm really curious how they're going to handle it. So we'll see. So let's move on now to what remains of Edith Finch. Now, Vince, I know you played it. I actually, I played it with Karen. Um, well, she played, I watched and kind of offered a few tips here and there and played when she was a little motion sickness. Joe, you were going to play it. Did you actually get a chance to play oh, it? Oh, yes, I did. Okay. Sure last night. Well, actually, Joe, you didn't get much of a chance to talk to her, so go ahead. What did you think of it? Honestly, it was probably one of the best, uh, and, and I hate to call them walking sims, but it's really, it's the best thing that... that interactive can, narrative. Ooh, it, I like you that. You can call it interactive narrative, I guess, yeah. But it, the way that it told its story and everything that you got to experience as somebody navigating through the, this this world was phenomenal. It was one of the best experiences I've had in a long time. And I haven't said that in a while about a, a narrative story. It took some weird, like, I don't want to say obvious directions, but it took you to places where you sort of kind of expected to go and then completely turned them on their head. And there's this level of just this fantastical to it that you believe these stories that you're that you're getting from the various family members. And it was powerful. It was really well done. The little details hidden throughout the house, everything there was just it was just so well done. Just to say once again, this is a game that um, I watched my wife play. And for anybody who wonders about that, because a lot of people now, again, the gaming generation just continues to get older. We like having games that our significant others can watch us play as well. And if you wondered about this, again, this is not an expensive title, first of all. And second, it is actually something that is very interesting, just as interesting to watch as it is to play. Because I was going to let her play through it because she, I talked to her about the demo and the interview and whatnot. And then she was saying, well, I would like to try that. That sounds like fun. I'm going, great, yeah, come play it. So she played it and uh, I actually was going to walk away and do something else be it play guitar or go play something on a console or whatever kind of thing, it's so that I could play it later on. And she started playing it, and then she was having a few problems with that with the Molly one where it turns into the shark and whatnot. So she was getting some motion sickness in there in those things. Mm-hmm. So I, I finished those off for her, and then it immediately is kind of leading into a segment that we had not seen yet because of the demo. It's, it's separated, and I was kind of like hooked in immediately. I couldn't fucking turn around. And so I sat down behind her and I watched the whole thing. And I I enjoyed it just as much as playing through the demos. It was really, really exceptionally well done. And I love how, as opposed to, again, the demo, which makes perfect sense, of course, when you're playing the game, switching between family members is far more organic. You're just traveling mm-hmm. organically throughout the house. It's not about, oh, let's select the other person and, and play their story. No, you well, you can do that later once you unlock them. But it, it actually just is a just organically traversing different quarters and everything. Like the manner in which not just how each individual, is, individual story is written was beautifully done, but the manner in which they're all tied together in a believable way, like you said, Joe, but also this very fun, organic, exploring manner. And man, I just, I didn't think that that element could be 
as much fun as the actual stories were in and of themselves too. that exploring every nook and cranny of this little house. Well, it's not so little actually. <laughs> what, what about you Vince? I just keep coming back to like, just how like heartbreaking so much the game was. And like, from, oh, the whole from, thing. A, from, from, from a player viewer standpoint, I mean, it was great, but like, it's just, this is, you go in despite like, you know, these funny little stories and like, oh yeah, everybody dies at the end. But when you string all these stories together and see how each successive death in the family affected the people around them and what it did to them. And that basically this entire house is just a monument to tragedy and sadness. Like by the end of the game, I was just sitting there like staring at the screen for a while, like just letting so much of it set in because like everybody handles grief in different ways you know some of them do drugs some of them you know create shrines in their bedrooms and some of them run away and it's just it's it was just a fascinating study to me of just an element of the human psyche that we don't explore in games and especially not to this extent and it's rewarding too right like and that's the other thing about this game is that it's not just blind exploration or an open world where like you look under every rock it, it has a a reward to it as you discover new things and as you uncover more of the family stories and come back to the present day and move around those spaces as well um there's these little i don't want to say bombs but like as you get uh little either sort of self-narration as she's moving through these spaces and how she interprets what she was told from her great-grandmother about these family members in the house, in the history, and everything else. It, it just adds so much more to that experience as well. And then there's all these little things like the the pictures on the walls. The um, We talked about the book titles before, but the fact that there are books everywhere in this house. The fact that even... Uh, Years later, as this character is returning back to the home and as you're navigating through it, it, it has sort of that that lived-in feel. And one thing I will commend them on is it's really easy to take something like this and turn it into a horror escapade with cobwebs and dust and everything being in complete uh, shambles. And here... There's none of that. It's not that type of experience. You're not going to be jumping at your shadows. You're not going to be, you know, listening for every board creaking under your feet, et cetera, et cetera. It's <laughs> except when you go downstairs. <laughs> That's different. Because <laughs> if there wasn't a tiny little pee, bit of pee that came out. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. <laughs> uh, then I guess there's something wrong with you. <laughs> it was but, funny because Karen's doing. But you were talking about getting older, Roger. <laughs> this is true. That is true. Uh, but no, when we were, because uh, that segment comes up in the comic book one, mm-hmm. which again, it's, it's which is really well done, really well amazing. done. Oh my god, and still feels tied into the mm-hmm. art style of the game by virtue of the fact that you see the hands turning it and whatnot. But when when she turns it and you find out that the key is on it, both my wife and I were like, oh, at the same time. <laughs> I, yep. I'll say I am a little disappointed, though, that like because I went back through the game to like replay some of the segments. You can't sequence break and go through the 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 
you like when you first get to the house, you can't go grab the key and go yeah, into the basement. Yeah, you can't go straight to the basement. Oh, your first little your first disappointing. Your first playthrough is guided, and we we learned as much of that in the, is in the interview. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I, but I would have liked you know in going through and replaying like having a little more free roam element. But it, I'm not going to complain. Like that's the harshest complaint I have in the game. Yeah, really. Is that I couldn't go to the basement early. Yeah. No, the even, go ahead. I was going to say, but even then, like, just moving through, one thing I will appreciate, too, is as you uncover the stories I'm going to talk about as being lived in, when you come back and start navigating through the house, you start to notice little details that mm-hmm. were always there. But, like, talking about the comic book one, where those events that played out, and then you go to those spots, and then you're like, oh, yeah, look at that. And there's these signs that this actually happened, right? The, it, it's it's a very cool thing where these these little tidbits are hidden and but they're not hidden. see them but they're they're not well, hidden you know it's I mean? just like, that you don't know from, about it you don't yeah, know the history from your perception almost yeah because you like you see them but you don't know what they mean yeah which is so again testament to how lived in the house looks and i can't get over that and and that's coming from playing a lot of these types of games where that are still very well done is also but for for whatever reason, this is so meticulously well done, and, and again, something that Karen noticed when she was playing it, because like all the stuff with Edie Senior, when you're seeing different things throughout, and we talked about the simple things like the the chair and the oxygen and whatnot, but when you go up and you're going through her room or different other places and whatnot, like you're seeing hints of again the life that people lived in there. For a very long period. And because of the intermingling of each of the stories and how, like, these people were all a family. It's all related. So you're getting some of the same people at different points in their life. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, the the the, the family building, the building of that family tree was v- exceptionally well done. The one thing I will find interesting, though, too, is that there is a common thread that runs throughout it that I didn't notice, obviously, in the demo. But when we play the full game, you definitely see it. And it's great grandma Edie. And she is the constant throughout all of these stories. Well, yeah, which is which is absolutely incredible because great grandma Edie has interacted with every single family member Mm -hmm. that you experience, including yourself. And it's interesting because we, we talk about this concept of the curse or the that sort of clouds or, or hangs over the family. And it's very – and this isn't spoiling anything. This is very apparent from the very beginning because it's one of the first things a character says when you, when you play the game. Uh, she's the only one that has never been affected by that, so to speak, which is interesting. And I didn't notice that until my second playthrough. Sorry, say again? She's not affected by the curse. Well, I didn't presumably. That. No, <laughs> and, she wasn't compared to everybody else in the family. Everybody else in the family had things happen at untimely points in their life. Kind of something right? happens to her. <laughs> but, but nothing happens. We don't know what happens to her aside from she lived to be in her 90s and then disappeared. Oh, Edie. Okay. I Edie. thought you meant Edith. I said that's why I said no. Edie. Great oh, okay. Okay. Edith. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I she lived a blessed life. Yeah, and I did not know this until my second playthrough. I didn't realize it. And I thought that was phenomenal. Like, it was such an interesting thing because she, she was the custodian of the family's tale. Yeah. And I didn't know the house. That was, yeah, and it was it was so 
it was interesting. And then when you got to experience her story, it was very powerful as well. Like it, just everything about this game, I cannot stop singing its praise. And it's been a long time since I've been able to do that. Now I have to ask you guys one question out of all the stories that you experienced. Oh, what was your, your favorite? Yeah, I saw this coming. Oh, you, of course you did. I mean, for me, I'd say it's a toss up between Barbara and Sam just because they were very unique ways of exploring those stories. Like I really enjoyed the comic book and the photography aspect. Like it was, I was going to say, it was just so, so out of, again, what we, what we're used to experiencing, how we're, how we've been trained to experience a story. I also really liked uh, Lewis as well. I like, I like Sam. And even though it was one of the ones that was in, in the demo, I really liked Molly as well. I thought it was it was so imaginative and well done and it was fun watching somebody else play through it as well having played it myself and watching somebody else do it was kind of fun and and it just is a very well crafted story and then there's the brothers as well too which both of those stories was really well told kind of thing Honestly, I don't have a, a one that I think this is the one. With the exception, again, of when Molly turns into a monster. <laughs> I mean, the shark was enough for me to go, holy shit. But the monster was like, okay, I see where this is going now. Just does not matter. Let's just have fun with it. So I, that was the, the one of the moments that I, I liked the more. And again, demo, but that swing going round and round. Is impactful. The, the, the tension on that. Like, yeah, okay, here, here's, yes. Here, here's a question. Um, I'm assuming both of you played on PC. Yes. Yes. Playing the game on console is such an interesting experience because, like, for uh, Calvin, each analog stick controls one of his legs on the swing. That's the same thing on yeah, the PC. I, uh, right. We use controllers on PC. We use a controller. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just like a lot of the little touches, like on console, like you know, opening the cans yep. or chopping the fish. <laughs> here's a here's a great one that completely spoiler free. At the end of Gordon's segment, and it's the only time this happens in the entire game. A little frog croak came out of the microphone on the PlayStation controller. Yeah, really <laughs> scares the shit out. Well, no kidding. That is such an That's amazing funny. touch. That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, there were elements in each of the stories that had me pausing and well, not pausing, but like just kind of thinking about it as she was playing it because it was just like, holy Jesus, that was that was again, I don't want to say brilliant, but man, that was a very clever solution to a trope essentially, and it's like holy jeez, so yeah, and I I really liked how it built. Now, if I'm going to be critical, and I'm going to be critical and try to be as spoiler free as I can. Um, the I was not as happy with the ending. I don't want to say why. I'm just gonna say I felt the ending relied relied way too much on cliches and on a specific cliche that you're going. Oh, I can see where this is going, and sure enough, that's exactly where it went. But it also kind of cheated in so doing. I feel so. 
Mm. I felt that you don't have to agree, but that's how I felt. That was the only point where I was like, and it's not enough that I'm going, fuck this game. Nobody should play this. No, no, no. Play this game. Buy it. It was really freaking good and worth playing. I just was a little disappointed in that ending. I would argue, I mean, I can understand and I can argue that uh, I think that it was sort of an inevitable thing that they foreshadow early. So, and I understand it's cliche, but I was okay. I, I, I was okay with it. Maybe I wasn't angry with it. It was definitely not my favorite moment. Um, although I will say my favorite moment probably has to be Milton's story and the way that it was presented because it mm-hmm. was so simple, but so well done. And you could go in reverse, which was, I thought was interesting. Which one was Milton like again? Could, which one was Milton again? Really, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look at that one again. Which Milton one was, was the uh, the flip book? Oh, right. Okay, yeah. But like everything about that was was very interesting. Like the the tone of the story, the tone of his space, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Partially because when I was a kid, and this is gonna sound so goofy, but I I, I kind of personally identify with this this experience in a lot of ways. Um, the space that Milton was given was one that I always wanted as a kid. And one that I actually designed in one of my houses when I was in architecture school. Well, it's the cool treehouse effect kind of thing, too, that every anybody would want to live in. But the multi-layer glass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Specific. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, definitely. It was just it was just phenomenal. Like it was just a, a, such a it, it spoke to me. Well, the and entire house like, does. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. The entire house does. Yeah, when you're absolutely. looking at the house the very first time with the crazy. What's the uh, Vince Miyazaki film? Uh, with the floating house, um, Howl's, Howl's Moving Castle. Castle. Yeah, It had that kind of feel with the different houses attached one on top of the other kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so, you, But then once, once you get in there and you realize why it's designed like that, it's, ex- it continues to be fascinating. Exactly. But then as you're going from room to room and you're seeing these, and some of them you're walking on the fucking roof to get to the different paths and whatnot. <laughs> but like that one there that you're talking about, Joe, the more you explore in there, the more you're like, I, I want to live in this house so badly. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and that, like, when you are some of the spots, too, if you take a moment, you just kind of look around. Like, one of them, there's a little kind of a, a back porch kind of thing, too, with a barbecue and, and a cooler for a beer. And if you sit down where the chair is, you can look out, and the view of the lake is spectacular. And especially at night. And it was like, my God, I want this fucking house. I don't care if there's a curse attached. <laughs> Have you looked at my life? Well, <laughs> that's, one thing, that's one thing I will I will actually say, too, I was really appreciative of is how the atmosphere shifted going into night, but didn't creep into the horror show aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like, despite the fact that the power was turned off and everything else, like, there was sufficient ambient light that it made it feel again like a home like you're not terrified going through your own house at night necessarily and and that's sort of an important feeling for you as the player is that this is a familiar space to you even though you're discovering new bits of it that you haven't touched as far as that character goes and as the player you're you're unveiling more and more i i really want to commend them for that because the way that it felt is it felt like a very homely very familiar experience and it that's what was needed for this and i gotta give them props for that okay so parting thoughts joe i've already bought it for three people so i mean that should tell you how i feel about this game vince yeah i 
it's an experience unlike any other you will have in gaming. So you owe it to yourself to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Voice acting, spectacular. Art, beautiful. Sound design, great. Writing, spectacular. It's a really, really good game. Uh, whether you want to call it a sim, whether you want to talk, call it an interactive, whatchamacallit that Vince said, it's a very good one at that. So pick it up, play it. Don't expect to shoot anybody in the face, but definitely expect to spend several hours creeping around back through back rooms and different little hallways and everything and being thoroughly enjoyed. So let's move on from there. We had talked a few weeks ago, maybe a month, about Ashes of Creation, and there was a new video that came out for it as well. Joe, why don't you take this? So it wasn't necessarily a video done by uh, no. the actual studio or people behind him. It was done by uh, Austin John, who's a guy that does a bunch of MMO stuff, a bunch of game stuff, and does reviews of it. But this is the first that I actually started to hear somebody else's take on it, and it gave me more information and made me very interested in it. Uh, so Ashes of Creation is going to be a new MMO, uh, and it's going to be comprised of veterans from all sorts of games If you in studios in the past, which is really kind of cool. But it's they're creating a unique experience that, while we've heard in the past, player-driven game, they're taking this into a different direction. It's not players creating content and putting it out there. It's players struggling with the world and other players to unlock content that is already there. The node system in particular was something that really interested me because while you choose a starting area or you choose an alliance or whatever the case is, you build up that region by doing quests or, or bringing resources or whatever the case is. That part hasn't really been defined yet. But you build up your node city, your capital city for that area. And the more you do for it, the larger it gets. The larger it gets, the more it unlocks. And as it becomes bigger, the quests and monsters and everything around it become bigger. Now, this is important because while you can do this, you doing this is sort of anathema to the other regions because there can only be so many levels of nodes divided out between all of the regions. So it creates this thing where maybe you and your bordering region have max level nodes and then one that borders both of you doesn't. So that one needs to take yours down slightly to increase its own. And that does things like unlock player housing, unlock different trade skill uh, areas, vendor areas, things like, and, and again, more quests and it's interesting because it's sort of it pulls you into the world in a way that other MMOs don't. Because even in WoW, like, okay, Stormwind is being attacked. Who cares? Stormwind will be fine the next three hours from now. It'll be great. All the everybody repopulate. No harm, no foul. Here, if you're based off of one area, let's say region A, and your node gets knocked down, and you lose your housing, you lose uh, your your professional stalls or anything else like that, and then you have to fight to get them back, and it stays. It's it's not something that just regenerates over time. You have to go earn it and get it back, which I thought was really interesting. It's also a game that is introducing and holding on to weight limits, which a lot of players may feel weird about, but it's kind of cool from the aspect of if you want to trade or craft, you have to hire things or work things out within the system to kind of get them from point A to point B to trade or hire somebody to help you with moving your stuff around so that you could actually go do your crafting or whatnot. And it adds a sort of interaction to the world that a lot of other MMOs don't have. Like right now, if you want to trade something on the auction house in Stormwind uh, or Ironforge, it's all connected. It's all one. You don't have to go anywhere here. If you want to go, let's say to your neighboring node to sell uh, your iron ore, 
you might have to hire a caravan. You might have to hire guards. And then monsters and other players can attack you. It's a really cool concept. Yeah, and really? I, you really think it's cool? I, I do, actually. Because well, we, they used to do that in WoW, not with the caravan, but where the auction houses were different, if you'll recall. Way back in yes. the day, and then realize this is a stupid idea. We're going to connect them all. Because... I think what this is going to do is it's actually going to make a lot of people not even bother with professions, at least the gathering and whatnot. Certainly, you'll make your money if you can protect your thing. But with all of the griefing that is going to no doubt be going on and the fact that those are going to pretty much have a target on them, I what I see occurring is that those caravans will begin to be seen as... Not boss events, but like the incursion events in in WoW, where demons are attacking crossroads and now people come from all over to attack the crap out of them to get experience or whatever. So I'm thinking what's going to happen with these caravans is it's going to be people calling out caravan on this path. Boom. Everybody swarms down, destroys it, loots, takes off. Sure, but then you have the other side of that coin where you have players that maybe aren't interested in trade or questing or are interested in being professional soldiers and sell those services to the caravan to escort it safely to the different zones. I actually really like that idea. And you never played the Warcraft MMO, or not Warcraft, the Warhammer MMO, right? No. Okay, so Warhammer did something similar to this and did something with these these sort of zone events And they were absolutely phenomenal. And the reason I say that is because it it blended the experience of PvE and PvP very, very well. You didn't have to participate if you didn't want to, uh, but you could if you did. And players used to make a lot of money hiring their services out. I was a rune priest healer in that game that would hire onto caravans going from point A to point B to keep their soldiers and their people alive. And that's how I made my money to buy all the expensive shit in that game. And that was cool as hell for me. It's an if done right, it could be really well. That's done. a big one. Now, now here's the other thing about that too. Now, PvP isn't just something that just freely happens because there is a negative karma, for lack of a better term, when you play when you kill a character who isn't isn't participating, so to speak, because you can do that, but then you get a bounty on your head, and then you become hunted uh, in a free kill to anybody who wants to earn that bounty on you. And that's something that Star Wars Galaxies did way back in the day with the bounty system, which was absolutely phenomenal so that it was an incentive that, yeah, you could go attack that caravan, but what happens when you do? Now you can't go to a major city. Now you can't do half the quests you want to do. Now you can't do certain things or interact with certain NPCs or go to a populated area because you're a free kill potentially at that point. You're going to be fighting for the entire time. It It is a very cool sort of almost self-balancing thing that worked really well in galaxies back in the day that no other MMO has done since and seeing something similar coming to here, I think is actually pretty cool because now you as a player have to make a choice. Do I, I, I could take this caravan. I could take this stuff. I could go get that gold from them and kill them all. But then what am I worth? What does that affect me with? I think that's kind of cool. It, again, it could be. I, I certainly don't want to crap on this because I would like to see it, these type of things done well. It's the same thing as what you were saying at the beginning in terms of the dynamic world kind of thing. We've been spending how many fucking years now doing this podcast talking about that's what we want to see, <laughs> but it's rarely ever done or rarely ever done effectively. 
And so it seems to be that that's the goal that so many MMOs are striving towards, but nobody's hitting it. So I don't know if there's a reason for that. When it's done right, it becomes EVE Online, which is awesome and fascinating, and I don't want it anywhere near me. (laughs) (laughs) And see, I'm a guy that loved EVE, so... So the only th- other thing that ticked me off about this was the fact that they're going. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they said they're going subscription based for this. Did they're they going not? to have different models. They're yeah. going to have. Uh, it looks like they're going to have a free to play, but they're also going to have like a premium as well. Okay, I thought I'd read that they were looking at a subscription based for this. So they uh, haven't. They haven't finalized that yet. So isn't I, this the one that they said if you want any credit whatsoever nowadays you go uh, with subscription. That is definitely the uh, the way that most people feel yeah. that you have to do it. I, I see. I disagree. But for me, it's because it's costing 22 fucking bucks a month if I want a sub. So it's not worth it. So I likely will not That's be playing fair. the game. <laughs> well, All right. this is one that when it when it releases, I will actually be trying it out. So expect a full report. From cool. Me. Cool. Awesome. Okay. Parting thoughts on it? No? Definitely one to watch. Okay. We'll see. All right. And now we turn to Vince for fucking who knows how long because he's got a bunch of stuff to talk about. <laughs> It's the Vince Power Hour. <laughs> Talking about shit that nobody cares about. Okay, go ahead. I shouldn't say that. I'm the one that put one of the things in there. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Like, one of these was like, I saw something in the notes. I was like, what the hell is that? Definitely a couple of these. I don't give a rat's ass about them. <laughs> it's all you for all four. Take it away. All right. Well, we'll start off with the quick ones. Uh, first of all, Bandai Namco has announced uh, coming out in 2018 a new game called Code Vein. It appears to be in the style of Dark Souls and Neo as a hardcore exploration action RPG where this time you play a vampire. And we'll see where that comes along. But the interesting bit here, because there's very little to talk about. I mean, first of all, looks cool as shit, like crazy art style. Yeah. But uh, it actually looks like you're going to have be able to have an NPC companion with you through the game, which could uh, lend an interesting aspect to. to this whereas those other games haven't but very little to say about it right now but an interesting twist on the formula perhaps well these are the people that did correct me if i'm wrong um god eater are they not uh the god the team yeah no god eater yeah i'm looking at it god eater yeah i'm sorry behind god eater because god eater was initially a, a an anime was it not i believe so you got me i think so because i watched some of it and while some of it was the horrible cliched anime, anime stuff that I fucking hate, the, the, the panty shots and shit like that. Some elements of it were actually really cool and well-written. So if we can have a hell of a lot more of that and less of the pervy shit, <laughs> then this <laughs> might be really interesting. Uh, judging from the, the style and the screenshots, it's definitely going for more uh, stylish than provocative. Yeah. From the little bit we've seen. (laughs) Beyond that, I was very excited to find out that uh, the, God, I think it's the sixth iteration of the franchise at this point of the Gundam Versus franchise. Uh, They, at part of the uh, 15th anniversary of the franchise, I think it was last year, they announced they were working on like a whole new concept and version of the game uh, built from the ground up for PS4, and it's now simply just called Gundam Versus. No 14 extra words tacked on there. Uh, I think the last one was like Gundam Versus Extreme Blast Double. Like it was, it got to 
beyond Capcom levels of ludicrous. But uh, the big news is this will be the first game in the franchise to get a Western release. And I love me some fucking Gundams. I, it, it's uh, best described as like a, an arena fighting game uh, in the vein of Virtual On, if you're familiar with those, where... Uh, in I miss that game. Yes. In this uh, version of the franchise, the battles are now three on three, and you're able to mix and match from numerous uh, mobile suits from across the Gundam franchise's 35-year history. So awesome giant robot battles. Not a lot of mecha. Yeah, I'm in. I will play this with you, Vince. I will definitely play this with you. All right. It's a date. Absolutely. We just need to find a third. Hear that, Allie? Hear that? And we finally, after hearing about it, when was it? Was that PSX or E3 where Marvel vs. Capcom, it had to be PSX, PSX where Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite was announced. And that was December, if I'm not mistaken? I think so, yeah. Maybe a little. Yeah, Yeah, I think so, December. So, So now here we were in April. And it's literally the first information we're getting about the game. <laughs> it's finally it, beyond it exists. Uh, lots of gameplay stuff I won't get into, but the most important part is we had a story trailer for the game where we find out that the big bad in this game is born out of an alliance between Ultron and Sigma from the Mega Man X franchise, powered up by the Infinity Stones because holy shit. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. (laughs) There's a hilarious bit in this trailer where he just beats the shit out of everybody. Mega Man, Thor, Captain Marvel, you name it. And then Chris fucking Redfield just shoots him with a pistol. (laughs) It's it's insane and over the top and exactly what you want out of a Marvel game. It looks pretty cool. Uh, Art style is starting to come together. Obviously still needs a little bit of work. Uh, They're actually... Infinity Stones aren't just a plot mechanic. They tie into the gameplay where you get to choose one of the stones to be like your uh, your, like your super meter for the game where you can activate various effects. Uh, they showed off the Space Stone, I believe it was, which was cool as shit because it actually trapped your opponent in a box they couldn't get out of. So figure out how that works in a fighting game, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, looking forward to see where it goes. Uh, I've never been a super fan of the Capcom Marvel versus line like it's been fun but I've never gotten as into it as I have Street Fighter and other games but still I mean it's comic book characters and video game characters punching each other like sure I'm in you could play as Hawkeye that's that's good enough for me (laughs) of course although it does have to be said they actually have Mega Man X in this game because in Marvel vs. Capcom 3 that was a huge that was when uh, Capcom was feuding with Keiji Inafune and didn't want Mega yes, Man anywhere. Yes, I remember that. So they had all the Mega Man-related characters. They even had but a Mega Man, Mega Man skin, not skin, but color palette for Zero. <laughs> but uh, now that uh, Mighty Number no. 9 came out and it sucked, Capcom has no problem using Mega Man again. <laughs> so we have a full Mega Man X in this game. You know, I'm actually kind of interested at this point. And don't get me wrong, like, I love... I- I like fighting games, but this is this is interesting. I'm I might actually pick this up. Mm-hmm. And it's going back to the series roots of two on two battles instead of three on three, so it's going to have a, a lower barrier of entry for a casual fan as well. Oh, I do <sighs> like that because three v three was untenable. Chaos, absolutely chaos. Yeah. However, the big one that I actually like 
I was rereading and doing some more research on it today, and man, the end of next year can't come soon enough <laughs> because Phoenix Point has climbed pretty high up my list of anticipated games. Uh, this is from Snapshot Games, a company founded by Julian Gallup, best known as the creator of the original XCOM games, not the uh, 2K published Enemy Unknown and XCOM 2, like the old UFO defense games from back in the 90s. And what Phoenix Point is, is through the magic of global warming, the permafrost at the polar uh, caps is melted and has released a alien super virus into Earth's biosphere. So, of course, since it came from the polar ice caps, it's gone into the ocean. So you have these mutated amalgamations of humans and assorted marine biological life. And just looking at the concept art is disturbing. And then you see the bits of actual in-game stuff and see how well it's translated to the game. This looks creepy as shit. And I cannot wait to get into this because XCOM is fun. Like, it's an absolute blast. It's tense. But you're never really scared of the aliens beyond, you know, hey, that guy hits hard or he has he's really accurate. Whereas this is going to have that same tense atmosphere from a gameplay standpoint against horrible nightmare creatures. This looks fucking awesome. They've gone into uh, that the creatures as you go through the game will actually adapt to your tactics. And that's not just, Oh, I can, they'll stop, you know, hiding behind, you know, low cover and this and that. No, they'll actually physically evolve. There's an entire system in the game of like modular body parts, if you will, where the creatures will evolve armor or get smarter and learn how to, not just use modern-day weaponry, but actually fuse it into their bodies in disgustingly awesome techno-organic ways. And just this game looks fucking amazing. And I I can't wait. When they knock down the one creature into the water, (laughs) and you're like, yeah, got it. And then all of a sudden, all of the big massive fucking legs come it's such a trope we've seen this time and time again and yet every time you're like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) and the first instinct is turn the fuck around and run look at the size of those things Mm -hmm. (laughs) no it was a great trailer looked like a lot of fun and another cool aspect uh, adding on to here uh for those who are familiar with the more modern games uh with xcom 2 how you had the uh the geoscape and you had to like manage a lot of the global politics surrounding it. That's that's here as well. And there are three separate factions uh, that are working against the the alien proto or Pandora virus is what it's called. Uh, in different ways, some are looking to assimilate with it and learn from it. Some are just want to eradicate it. Some see it as a way to like usher humanity into a new age, but. They're all working to, like, you know, survive this thing and see humanity live on in one form or another. And you have to work with them, against them, however you as the player choose. And that's an active system in the game. They say, if you want, you can be a passive observer to what's going on in this world. And it will reach a conclusion without your involvement. 
it'll reach a more satisfying conclusion with your involvement. But there's this entire system behind the scenes of these factions working in the background and how you choose to interact and work again, work with or work against them will determine which of the multiple outcomes of the game you get to experience. So it's going to have a lot of replay value beyond just, okay, I know what the optimal tech build is. I will need to work with this, this, uh, faction on this mission and then get the technology from this faction because that's the most optimal way to kill the aliens. But now there's a narrative push to experiment with different strategies, which I really enjoy. I like when like this, where there is a higher level game that you can also play, but you don't have to, or you can give as much as you want to, and the AI will take care of the rest kind of thing. Because some games make it feel far too much like you need to be too involved with this. And in some games, I find it's well done, but in some, it's I, I can't be bothered. I'm, I'm fine being one of the grunts on the ground and just doing whatever needs to be done there kind of thing. So it sounds like they kind of have a good uh, balance going on here for this one. Presumably. Just throwing it out there, in my XCOM 2 game, you were one of the grunts on the ground, and you were really good with your rocket launcher. I was good in Joe's game, too, apparently. <laughs> yeah, you murdered the shit. You were my sniper. <laughs> no, seriously, Roger was I'm, my sniper. I'm far more like, effective you know in like pixelated the, form. <laughs> What's that? Is it, you remember how you get, like, in, in, in the next time you get those weird crit percentages? Rogers was always like, I don't know how. I don't know how I built them. Don't know how. It's just the magic of the angry Frenchman. It was always, like, 75 plus. Take that, bitch. I'm just going to point out there were multiple missions where Zen was the only one to survive and make it home. <laughs> Tough motherfucker. That's why. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Joe, you found something quite interesting this week just to touch on briefly with Zelda. Yeah, so Breath of the Wild is probably one of the greatest games in the Zelda franchise, if not the greatest one, uh, to come out. And most people agree with that statement. But there's something to be said about the 2D nostalgic roots of Zelda. And what would happen if you tried to make a 2D Zelda game nowadays that was as interactive as Breath of the Wild? Well, somebody decided to try their hand at it, and there is a 2D version of Breath of the Wild for PC. Uh, until Nintendo gets whiff of it and then decides to yeah, kill it, not for long. like to do every other project. But it was an interesting concept because it the the developer, the person who made this, did such an amazing job creating an interactive world using modern versions of classic Zelda assets. Uh, we're talking like you have the weapon swapping, you have weapon durability, uh, you can chop down trees, you can burn down trees, you can set grass on fire, uh, you could roll logs into enemies. It was just a really cool experience. And what's interesting to me is recently I've, I've gotten into this this kick of looking at the old, like, Satellicom stuff. And I don't know if you guys know what that is. That's nope. so obscure. I don't even okay. know. So the Satellicom stuff was way back in the day in, in Japan, the Super Nintendo had an expansion a part that you could load up underneath it that would allow you to hook into essentially a satellite oh. feed. Yeah, yeah, that thing. And you could actually download games, but also they broadcast live games and events for classic Nintendo games through your Super Nintendo. One of the major ones was Zelda. And we're talking about like old school full voice acting on these games, uh, different protagonists like the Satellicom had two mascots. 
Uh, one was a female character, so you had an actual like retelling of the original Zelda game with an original story and a female lead. Like stuff like that is absolutely amazing. So I love seeing what you can do with the technology nowadays to take old game or take new games and make them into old games or old games and bring them into the future. And this was really well done. I don't. I know I downloaded it and played it a little. Roger, did you get a chance to play it at all? Because yeah. I know you downloaded it. Oh, I downloaded that shit right away because Nintendo will oh, hell yeah. take that shit. Oh, yeah, it's going to be gone. So, yeah, no, I, I played it for a while. <laughs> I'm one of those guys, though, that when I get to that first death, it better be a damn good game for me to go, okay, I'll do all that again. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I don't like about this game. So it's like, okay, I'll play it every once in a while, but I'm certainly not going to play till I get to the end. But, I mean, it's fun for me for, like, those little tiny games. Yep. Just like the, the Pokemon game. The yep. Pokemon, uh, I forgot what the hell it was. Uranium. Uranium, yeah. Which was super fun. I agree. But, like, I, I, I like this idea. And I hope that the developers that make these games take the experience from doing this and then go out and make their own games. I agree. And are successful. Because I'd love to see a brand new 2D adventure game just like this that, you know, with a whole original story and cast and stuff like that. I'd love it. What I enjoyed is, like you said, too, how there were, for lack of a better term, modern interpretations to gameplay mechanics. So, like, when they laid down all of the the apples and, and, and shrimp and whatever on the grass and then burn the grass, and then everything's cooked. And I'm going, damn, that's pretty ingenious. <laughs> Like, you know, burn the trees to, in order to get through them, a whole bunch of different things. And, yes, some of those things have existed before, but there was a bunch of things in this where it was like you're using more modern-day gameplay mechanics in this old-style game. And it was, it was, it, it is really, really well done. So then moving away from there, just lastly and very briefly, a couple of weeks ago I talked about that Kickstarter for the visual novel and saying that I was going to check out potentially the one that came out before to decide whether or not I was going to back the, the current one, the Kickstarter. Well, it's not current anymore. That's Kickstarter's done. I didn't back it partially because a, that was around the, the holidays here and we had traveled to go see the folks up North. So it didn't exactly have time, but also I played the shower th- curtains to buy. The, the shower curtain was far more important. Really? That's I'm, I don't know if it's still <laughs> up. I hope it is. It better be. <laughs> but anyways, so I did play the game that came before that. It's called Sound of Drop. It's a weird fucking name, too. They, they lost something in translation. Sound of Drop, colon, Fall into Poison. And again, visual novel. I was hoping that it wouldn't be yet another visual novel from the perspective of a teenage girl. But it is a visual novel from the perspective of a teenage girl. So, fine, whatever. There's there's elements of it that aren't bad, but there was so much that was the cliched crap that we've seen time and time again in these types of visual novels, especially the Japanese visual novels. And it was like, ah, come on. I And I happened to get, for whatever fucking reason, I managed to find probably the shortest playthrough with a bad ending. Because my chick died getting stung to death by jellyfish (laughs) and dying in a back room somewhere all by herself. So apparently choosing the option. Yeah, you don't get a ton of choices that you can make either, which I didn't like. If you're going to give me a visual novel, then you know what? You're doing this suck it up, write more choices so that there are more branching paths. Yes, it means more work for you, but fuck suck it up that's your job so this didn't have nearly enough of those 
And the ones that I chose were each of the ones where the character is strong and independent. Apparently, strong and independent gets you fucking killed. you got to rely on Pretty Boy, who's older than you, who wants to give you the quote-unquote tour. So... I was kind of disgusted with the story. Not nearly as much as that Dating Grandpa's game. Thank you very much, Allie. That scarred <laughs> me for life. But not that bad. But it was like, oh, this is cliche tropes and crap. And frankly, I don't know that. I, I haven't uninstalled it, put it that way. But I don't know that I'm going to bother playing through it again. Because, again, I don't like the fact that you choose the options for her to be independent and it gets her killed. And it's like, okay, I get the, well, you need to rely on other people, but you should be strong in and of yourself, too. Again, there were too many things that I kind of went, oh, come on. And death by jellyfish? Seriously? (laughs) That's what you're going There's worse ways to go. She didn't seem to mind all that much. Kind of drifted off there. It hurt initially, but... (laughs) Anyways... Interesting. She made the strong, independent choices Crystal. to go swimming with the jellyfish and, and died. accepted her She fate. didn't. The, the, the tank just cracked for no fucking reason. She didn't even do anything. That's what I mean. This poor writing. <laughs> it's like, you're going to die by jellyfish, but I didn't touch the tank. Fuck you. You wanted to go here alone? You die. Tank crashes, jellyfish all over the damn place. She slips, falls, gets stung, dies. Really? That doesn't feel shoehorned in? Fuck okay. that When bullshit. you put it that way, I thought she was like swimming in the ocean or something, not mm. walking by an aquarium. No, it's an aquarium that's haunted, and her sister apparently disappeared there years ago. Come on. And then she goes off on her own because she had a little tiff with the girl that she went there with, and so she's by herself, and she goes in this room, and the tank explodes, cracks, fish, jellyfish comes out, she slips, falls, gets stung dies well i mean now that you're putting haunted aquarium with weaponized jellyfish out there (laughs) they're not in fucking nerf guns (laughs) (laughs) the antagonist isn't hiding behind them (laughs) the nerf gun kind of peeking out the sides and shooting them at her (laughs) oh god so anyways i didn't um, back the other one that was on Kickstarter. Maybe that one will be different. Maybe it'll be better. And this one here, there's perhaps a lot of people that would read through, play through this and enjoy it, especially if you are a woman gamer or a girl. Maybe you will get a lot more from this than certainly I could relate to. But the thing with that kind of argument, and I'll close with that, is that it's the writer's responsibility to be able to f- make everybody feel like they can relate to the character and not just the people who have the same gender, who are the same age, and things like that. That's the mark of a good writer. And unfortunately, I didn't get that from this. So with that, we are going to wrap up the episode. Thank you very much for listening. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can leave us some comments there. And you can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually Joe is Loaders at J. Vince is Samodian and I am Zen Buddhist. And with that, we will see you guys next week. You're the devil in disguise. Oh, yes, you are devil in disguise. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. 
stopbyforthelord.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Talk like an angel.